On defense, now if we go up and we make a bucket with eight seconds left and we go up one, oh, I'm calling timeout. Welcome to Hoop Nerds with Billy Kegler, presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. We talk to coaches, athletes, and more to learn from their stories and apply learning lessons to improve each individual and stimulate growth for your program, team, staff, and self. Follow along as we explore success and failure en route to improving the game of basketball. Coach Anderson, welcome to Hoop Nerds. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, looking forward to visiting and, and anytime we can talk about hoops, I'm in, brother. All right. Well, let's get down to it then and let's see where we can take this conversation. Let's go back in time and rewind. Tell me about the first time you coached something, anything, and a memory that sticks with you from that experience. <laughs> well, there's, there's, as you're well aware, being a coach, I mean, there's a lot of memories that stick with you throughout the years. But one of the first memories probably was uh, when I was just got done playing at Wayne State. Um, I, I was a GA there. And then um, a- after that, I ended up taking a girls' high school job in Wayne, Nebraska. And um, anyway, long story short, I ended up being a really, really young head coach for a girls' varsity basketball team, and I was really, really nervous. And I really didn't even know what to do. But uh, y- you know what? We decided that you know what we're going to take this job. We're going to we're going to knock it out of the park. And and uh, the, the lasting memory that um, you know comes to my mind is just talking, talking to these girls for the very first time and say, saying to them, I I don't know what we're going to do, but I know this, we're going to work really, really hard. And we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to turn the ball over. We're going to play really, really fast and shoot this thing before we turn it over. So uh, we just took wild and crazy shots and, and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. But so the moral of the story is shoot the ball before you turn it over. That is a moral I think my dad instilled in us when we were little. You may as well get a shot up before you turn the ball over. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So from that time as an early naive coach to your transition now, what's an idea or theory you had as a young coach that now over time with knowledge and information that you've changed your mind about? Well, I'm still pretty naive, to be real frank with you, but, uh, um, you, you know, the philosophy thing's really, really interesting to me, you know, because, you know, we, we were really, really um, efficient. We led the country in offensive efficiency last year. We led the country in three point field goal percentage. And if you played with me or you played against me, you'd understand like how in the hell can this happen with this guy? Because there is a reason why I was open on the perimeter, to be honest with you. Uh, The other team wanted me to shoot the ball a lot. But, uh, you know, I'm a really a defensive oriented guy. And so the thing that really has changed for me is when I was playing, when I was coaching early in my career, I was always, uh, you know, I was dead set. We're going to force baseline. We're going to keep that ball out of the middle of the floor and and, uh, we're going to come in full rotate. And, um, you know, since I've grown and matured and not, not that it's wrong or right, because there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, I've really evolved in that way. You know, I, I, you know, I've evolved to forcing the ball to the middle of the floor and to what we do now is what we, what we call a shade left. 
And um, so wherever the ball is on the floor, we force the ball handler to his left hand. And um, so that's something that's really evolved in, in a philosophy that's changed um, since my early days of coaching, playing the game. And um, we've had a lot of success with it. And, and um, so that's something that, you know, comes to my mind when, when I say, hey, what, what's something changed? And, and I don't know if it's uh, I'm less naive or more naive or what it is. It's just, you know, that's what I feel like fits our team. And so that's what we did. All right. I have two follow-up questions based on that. So even if your scouting report dictates a player is left-handed and strong going left, or they're a right-hander who is comfortable going left, you're just always left no matter what. Yeah, we are pretty much, Bill. You know, um, to be honest with you, we, we're going to force everything left no matter what, whether it's a left-hand player, the player um, dominate is more dominant with his left hand. I've only adjusted one time. <laughs> with a left-handed player um, from North Dakota State, he was he was a dynamic player and he was really a one-way you know drive guy. All right, so then on the closeout, let's talk about the footwork and the language you're using with your players as far as shading. Are you diagonal shading with feet? Are you moving off the center line of the person's body but staying square? What's some of that language you're talking about on a closeout to a player to force them to their left? Yes, yeah, both. To be honest with you, we talk about our feet and um, our, our left foot has to be on the outside of their right foot. And uh, so it's really easy to look for it on film because you can look at where they're at on the floor, look at their feet. And our guys really, you know, can learn from that. And then as far as the angle that we're looking for, we really talk about blocks and elbows. And so if they're inside, if, if, we're, if we're, our body angle has them outside the block, we feel like we're in pretty good shape. Or if they're outside the elbow, we feel like we're in pretty good shape. If we can see a direct line to that elbow or to the block, we're like, you're opened up a little too far. We got to make some corrections and stuff. So um, it's actually both is what we use. So is there ever uh, anything you do full court defensively? And does that change anything if you, you are doing that? You know, we, we have a, a couple times um, if we have a player that we believe can can help our team and maybe wear out the other team's point guard, we've done it full court, but but those rules only applied in the half court. We just wanted to wear those guys out and, and um, we're not necessarily a pressing team. But if we have a we have a, you know, a really athletic, dynamic guard that we feel like can speed up that team a little bit, we'll try to utilize that. But that only the shade left stuff only applies in the half court for us. All right. So as far as like off the ball stuff, tell me your thoughts on um, switching off the ball and how you handle that with the athleticism or size of your players. Um, yeah, we're, we're not a switching team. Like, um, it, the only time we would switch is if we're likes on ball screens and, and that's the only time we switch. We, um, we're a team that we, we try to take all the excuses away from our players. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know communication is a big thing. Um, you know, and, and we certainly stress communication, but, um, to me, we we're a heavy scouting team and we want certain guys on certain guys. And, um, you know, the other team's trying to win, too. So they're going to try to put you in actions that are going to switch if you're a switching team. And we just don't want to do that. So um, we're, we're a team that doesn't switch on off ball screens at all. Yeah. And part of that goes into your preparation. Right. So, you know, the matchup you want. So you're trying to dictate the action. So 
take me into your scouting report a little bit. How big is your scouting report? What type of content is there? Yeah. Uh, again, you know, it may seem crazy, but we, we only give our players a one, one sheet, um, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper on a scouting report. And uh, it's mostly personnel based on, you know, what's this, what's the strength of your, you, you know, the player that you're most likely going to be guarding. And, um, you know, we certainly talk about usually in practice, you know, we try to minimize it to their six main actions, you know, and, and uh, we don't talk about necessarily certain plays, but we talk about, hey, these guys set a lot of empty ball screens. These guys set a lot of, you know, strong ball screens. These guys set a lot of double staggered. So that's the things that we're going to work on during practice. We want to, we're, we're a concept team more than a play team that that's where we're going to concentrate on our scouting reports. So um, certainly not perfect. And, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but we want to keep our guys' minds fresh and confident and not let them think too much and, and just let them go play. So with those six concepts you have, when you're talking about them in film, how much time are you spending in film on those concepts opposed to maybe on the court showing and teaching? Yeah, you know, so it, it, it depends on, you know, certainly of the opponent, but um, roughly probably we'll watch film every day of the opponent um, and, and we'll show their actions and different, you know, counters off some of those actions that they do or concepts, you know, and, and um, so I'd say roughly 15 minutes, you know, a day before practice, we'll try to show them. And then throughout practice, we'll do it in different drills um, of, you know, the concepts. And then there, there will be times that we do look at their actions. And it's probably about 30 minutes, I'd say, of our practice that is really just focused on the opponent, the concepts and actions that they run. Okay. So now moving away from the technical side, I'm curious more about your mindset with things. So when you're competing, you're going into a game now as a coach or take yourself back to your playing days, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning that competition? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, you know, it's probably more the fear of losing. Um, I hate to lose. Um, you know, the things that you always remember as a coach and as a player, I remember all the losses to be honest with you and why you lost. And those are the ones that eat at you or that's what eats at me anyway. And so, um, probably I would say the fear of losing and, and trying to be, um, you know, not necessarily more prepared, but just be prepared, uh, and, and not, and hopefully not, not be surprised by anything. As many listeners know, I spent over six years as a general manager at Just the Game Fieldhouse in Wisconsin Dells. I was able to spend time talking hoops with coaches like Tom Izzo, along with high school and youth coaches, in addition to meeting some basketball legends, including my childhood favorite, Sam Elke, who is in the WBCA Hall of Fame and High School Basketball Museum, located at Just the Game Fieldhouse, which is a must-visit for any true hoop nerd. They also play host to the WBCA All-Star Games and Coaches Clinic every year. Just a Game hosts over 70 basketball and volleyball tournaments annually and is a great place to play for teams of all ages and ability levels. You can't beat all Wisconsin Dells has to offer in your free time. The Fieldhouse also has two sister companies in Just a Game Impressions and Just a Game Live. Just a Game Impressions specializes in customized screen printing and embroidery and promotional products. They serve businesses, schools, sports teams, and more. Just a Game Live takes pride in providing affordable and simple live streaming solutions for venues or programs of all kinds. Inquire today for more information. For more info on everything Just a Game has to offer, check them out at justagamefieldhouse.com. So you talked about their failure and losing. So I'm curious what maybe your favorite failure is that you've had, and not 
favorite because you enjoy losing, but favorite because you learned a lesson from it that you've been able to use to adjust and make yourself better for the future? Well, to me, it's it's um, offensively, we're, we're a very high motion team. You know, we don't run a ton of sets and our guys are really comfortable in just playing. Now, as a coach in you, you want to control things. So there's a game that, you know, we had the ball and we were down one and and we, we we got the ball with, I don't know, I think there was about eight seconds left. And of course, this is one of my first games that we played. I called timeout, mm-hmm. right? I want to control it. I want to take care of it. I want to set this up. So my best player has the ball, right? And our guys weren't comfortable with that because we're more of a motion team and just letting them play. And so the thing that I learned is on offense, if we have the ball late in the game, I ain't calling timeout. On defense, now if we go up and we make a bucket with eight seconds left and we go up one, oh, I'm calling timeout. So, um, and it's just something that I learned that, that, hey, I have to trust our guys because I trust them all game. Why would I change late in the game um, and, and put them in a situation where they're not as comfortable? And, and uh, so, so that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned of, of the failure deal and, and uh, going forward to try to put our guys in a more comfortable and successful spot. I have to share a quick story about that exact situation to put my high school coach, John Weiss, on on the hot, hot seat. He did <laughs> the same it. thing. Team went up on us. We threw the ball, and you can see him at the bottom of the screen calling timeout. The ref didn't acknowledge it, went in and scored, went ahead to win the game, and we went back and talked about it later because he's jumping on the sideline doing jumping jacks, trying to call timeout, and nobody would give it to him. And thank goodness they did not. <laughs> it works out more times than not. So so John Weiss is a mentor of mine. So I'm yeah. curious, who is a mentor in your life that you've learned a lesson from, and what lesson do you use on a regular basis from them? Well, I was fortunate enough to have many, you know, um, mentors in my life and, and um, I played for a great high school coach, but, you know, b- basketball and, and team and, and how you treat people. I, I, my, my college coach, Greg McDermott is, is one of my biggest mentors and, and um, just the way that he, you know, built relationships with people and, and uh, made people feel valued. And, and um, that, that's what I've taken from him and, and try to, you know, Put that within my own team and, and try to bring value in anybody that's part of our program, whether it's assistant coaches, um, training staff, support staff, um, or players, managers, you name it. Everybody has value on the team and, and uh, your role may be different. Your responsibilities may be different, but the value doesn't change. Everybody's as valuable as the next person beside them. And, so, and, that, and that was something that was instilled in me by him you know, while we played and, and while I worked for him that, you know what, let, let's, let's see what you do best and let's bring the best out of you. So in a situation where you have, you know, 15 to 18 players on your roster and inevitably someone's not playing and someone's not happy, how are you able to show them that they still have value so that they are still pulling in the right direction for your team's ultimate success? Well, I think communication is the key. You know, I, I don't think young people in particular, surprises are not good. And, and that's for anybody. Surprises aren't good. And and so I think communication is is really, really important. And, and so where they know where they at, where they're at at that at that time and, and what can they do 
to change that if that's what their goal is, if that's what their motive is, is to change that role. I think it's important that they know what, what needs to happen. And sometimes, you, you know, um, it's not up to them because there's somebody else that may be just a little bit better. And then you try to find a different role for that person. So um, I think communication, honestly, is the most important thing. And, you know, you know, we're in a situation as a, as a college coach where, you know, we have 13 scholarship guys. A lot of times you have a couple of guys red shirting, you're dealing with injuries and you can usually keep eight to nine, 10 guys happy at a time. Right. Um, where, you know, as a high school coach, that can be even more difficult at times. You know, the games are a little shorter. Um, the discrepancies probably a little bit more sometimes. And so there is guys that probably are, 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 are not playing. Um, there's more guys that aren't playing. And, and I think it's even more important in those situations to, to find roles for them to be proud of, whether it's a scout team um, and, 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 and celebrating their successes when, when they have them in practices or situations that, that you see success, successful and just make sure you're celebrating them and acknowledging them in front of their teammates are, are things that I try to do to make sure they understand that, that we do appreciate what they're doing. We do, uh, you know, understand the value that they are bringing to the team. But can you give me a, at the end of the day, can you give me a few examples of those celebrations of maybe scout team guys and, and how you're able to show your appreciation for them? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, even on, you know, film sessions and stuff like that, of course, we talk about, you know, hey, this is what we're trying to improve on. And, and here's here's a situation that that is with our top guys. And so you show a lot of those clips, but also, you know, maybe celebrate a couple. We, we, we do. We celebrate, you know, hey, look at look at how this scout team run this play. They run it better than this team that, that run, that's trying to run it and, and, and saying, you guys give us the best look that we've ever had. And and uh, so those are things that we try to do to make sure they understand the value that they are bringing. All right. So switching to the recruiting side of things, because this question intrigues me. So if you have a recruit and you can only ask them one question and one question only, what is that so that you can get the best feel for whether they're a good fit for your program or not? Um, it's funny you asked me about the losing and winning earlier. Because my favorite question to ask recruits is, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? And um, to me, you know, the, the, the hate to lose piece matches my style, like I said before. And um, if I know that they hate to lose more than they love to win, we're going to get along pretty good. And we're going to see things very, very similar. Um, you know, we have, you know, our kind of our philosophy and our keys to success are we, we, we put a circle on a lot of our shirts. And, and what that means is togetherness. And uh, they're the five character traits in, inside that circle are honesty, respect, selflessness, communication and compete. And um, so we also talk a lot about those questions when we're recruiting. Obviously, you have to be talented. You have to be skilled. We love guys that shoot the basketball. Um, but 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 we also, you, you know, equally as important are those five character traits and understanding what it means to be in the circle. But, uh, you know, my favorite question is the one, you, you know, would, you, do you love to win or hate to lose one? And, and uh, that that really tells me if, if, if hey, are, are we going to see things in a similar light? 
Awesome. Well, I'm excited to follow along this year. I know uh, Alex Arians is still playing college basketball by some miraculous feat. And uh, you guys are playing a few teams this year that I'm intrigued with, Eastern Washington being one of them, as I have some connections there. So I'll be following along this winter to see how y'all are doing. But I want to get you out of here on a non-basketball related question. So use your imagination a bit for me. If you open a refrigerator and look inside of that refrigerator, what one item inside of that refrigerator best identifies with who you are as a person and why? Whoa. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, oh, oh, oh. Man, man, that's a really good question, Bill. In that refrigerator, Best describes me. I'll go with mustard. I'll go with mustard. And the reason why is, for example, our basketball team, we know we're not for everybody, right? We, we, we believe in what we believe in. We believe in the honesty, respect, selflessness, communication, and compete. And, um, and, 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 it's going to be really, really hard to make it here. And um, just like not everybody loves mustard, but uh, when you do, we feel like it's pretty good. Beautiful. So I'd say mustard. <clears throat> I love it. This is the first time I've had that answer, so I appreciate it. <laughs> and I appreciate the time for coming on the Hoop Nerds and sharing with us. Coach, have a great night. Bill, you the man. I appreciate you having me. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. I've been associated with their products for a few years now, and I'm really impressed by their innovative and user-friendly shooting machines. They also are great people with tremendous customer service. It's no wonder why they have become the preferred choice among top programs around the country and world. I'm very grateful for their support of the show. Make sure to check them out at drdishbasketball.com and at Dr. Dish B-Ball on social media. Be sure to mention WBCA when ordering your next Dr. Dish to save an extra $300 off any commercial purchase.